just want to throw that out there. So I just want to, um, my name is Sarah, and I just want to say off the bat, I am wearing Matt Coach t- uh, shirt. Um, I, I came in with a jean jacket. It's really hot, but I was wearing a tank top. So I, I, I felt like really self-conscious because it's not the outfit that I picked out for this morning. But I just want you to know, just get it out there. It's Matco's shirt. Okay, I'm already wearing it. And I've done this to him twice. And I haven't given back the last shirt, but I think I have to give back this one, okay? Um, so let's go straight into it. Um, actually, let's just open up in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and fill our hearts that your words may read us that your words will be powerful and heavy in us, God. Father, we open ourselves to you in faith and in hope that when you meet us, you meet us powerfully, and you meet us powerfully in your love. Jesus, let me pray. Amen. Everybody turn to Luke 15, chapter, uh, verse 11. <clears throat> you guys ready? Anybody else? We're good? I'll just read it uh, for all of us, but let's just follow along. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to his fields to his feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your servant. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Amen. Um, how many of you guys have heard this story before, the prodigal son? Yeah? Pretty common story if you've lived as a Christian long enough, right? Um, and I feel like many of you have heard this story, but it often paints a picture of a sinner, like the son who's a sinner. And to be honest, I can't really relate to the son. I'm not saying I'm a saint. I'm not saying that I'm not like that bad of a person. But you have to understand what the son was really saying to the father. The son was saying to the father, uh, Dad, I really cannot wait until you die for me to have the money that you have already set for me, my inheritance. I can't really wait for you to die and get older and die. So why don't you just give me the money now as if you already died so I can take the money and spend it however I want? If my, if I ever told my dad or my mom that, believe, like, who, who'd be scared to say, say that to their parents? 
right? I, I hope everybody, please, just I hope everybody. That is a very, not just rude, but a very hurtful thing to say. I wish you were already dead, but you're not dying fast enough, so give me your money so I could do whatever I want. That's what he was saying. So to be honest, I can't relate to the son. I haven't sinned in this grave way like the son. But a lot of the parables in the Bible paints a very extreme picture so that anybody that's sinning can kind of fall within that line, right? The person that's really dealing with a lot of things to people who are not really. But everybody in between, it kind of covers. That's the point of the parables. So I can't relate. Not really. And so this parable I've read multiple times. And I'm just like, you know what? Good for the son. He got it together. and He went back to the father. Good, good job. It was the wisest thing to do. Um, until I heard someone say, I actually don't think this parable should be named the prodigal son. And I was like, why? Because, you know, that's all I've known is to call the prodigal son. And he said, it should really be called the prodigal son's father. Because the real star, the real main character of this story is actually not the son. It's actually the father. So today we're going to talk about the father and the actions of the father. Let's, we're going to look into a little bit more detail with a little bit of imagination of what he probably was going through, what he was doing. So I want everybody to get on the bus. We're all going on the bus together, okay? We're going back how many thousands of years and we're going to go to this town where this prodigal son was. Okay, everybody ready to go? Yeah? Everybody ready to go? Yeah. All right, cool. So we've read this story. So we know how generally the story goes. The first thing the father did was the father let him go. He let him go. Now, if someone, if my own child, I don't have one yet, but if my own child came and said, mom, give me my inheritance. Um, I just want to go and do whatever I want. First of all, there will be a heavy beat down in the family, that heavy beat down. But second, I said, why are you doing this to me? Why are you leaving me? That's so, that's so rude. You, 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 you have no idea what you're saying. You have no idea what you're saying. You don't even know what you're asking for. I'll be fighting. I'll be crying. I'll be threatening all not good things. I'll be, I, I'd be, you know, I'd be sending other people to tell him, you, you just make sure he doesn't go away like that. Make sure he doesn't do this to me. But if you see the father, you see him not at peace per se, but he almost lets him go. Okay, so it must have not been easy for the father to sit there. So, okay, so you want your inheritance early. Okay, so here is half of the inheritance. Here you go. Um, you really want to leave. And he said, and the son goes, I want to leave now. And the father, without much resistance per se, lets him go. Now, that sounds crazy, first of all. But if we really put ourselves in the shoes of the father, the father does not want to keep a son that does not want to be there. He does not want to keep hostage a son that does not want to be there. What did the, what did the passage say? That the son left the house and went to a whole different area. He left everything he knows. He left, the, he left the closest presence of his father. He went as far as he could, far away from the father. You know, oftentimes, you know, it's obvious that the father here is representing God the father. Now, if God the father is so powerful and sovereign, why would he let you go? 
Why would he let you go if you want to run away? If you want to live your own life, if you want to sin, if you want to just, you know, I don't want to go into all the details, but you know what he did, right? Like, I don't need to spell this out for you, right? Everybody get it? Okay, cool. So why does God let us go? It cannot be that he just doesn't care. It cannot be that he has no, t- no more time on his hands because there's wars going on here. There's a famine here. So you know what? Okay, you can go. What's your name? What's Sateria? Oh, Sateria. Oh, you can just go. You can just go. I have, I'm way too busy, so you can just go. It's okay. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take care of you later, okay? If God is not doing that, but why does God let certain people go? Because a forced love is not true love. What if the father closed up the gates and made the 16-foot wall that Donald Trump wants to make? And then he said, you know, this son, you will not go. I don't care. I will steal your shoes. I will put away all your clothes. Every donkey in the house, I will kill it. You will not go. That's not love. A forced love is not true love. And I feel like a lot of us have been there when we've left the presence of God willfully. Like, out of our own will, our own decision, we've left. And we come back and say, God, why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you put up this wall? Why didn't you put a rope around me and then, you know, pull pull me back like like a dog? You know, why don't you do that? Because he doesn't want your forced love. He doesn't want this, you have to stay within my boundaries or I'm going to be very mad at you. He doesn't want that kind of love. He wants a love where you want to be there. You want to be in the presence of God. So the first thing the father did is father let him go. The second thing the father did with the father was vulnerable first. So as the father watched the son go, we're all together, right? Are we, are we all on the same bus here? Okay, so we're all together. The son has left. But you also see that when the son does return, the father runs. What could this mean? Let's be detectives here, guys. Let's think about this. This probably means that for as long as the son was gone, the father was looking out for him. He probably did a little gardening or whatever, took care of the bills, and then he looked out. Is he coming? Do I see him? Not today. Okay. He probably did a little bit more housework business and, you know, take care of the family, birthday parties, and he looked up. Is he coming? Is it today? Is my son coming home today? Every day, with the wealth that he had, the son probably lived for at least months or years away from home. Every day, he was probably looking out. Is my son coming home today? Is today the day my son comes home? And when the son actually comes home, He probably doesn't even look like the son that left, right? He's probably broken up, busted, hairs all over the place, dirt everywhere, you know, probably half the size he was when he left, wearing rags. But the first person that recognizes him is the father. Far down the road because he was looking for his son. That doesn't look like the son. I I, I, I am sure, you know, could it be? Yes. Other people may have doubted, but the father knows his son. 
So he runs and runs and runs to his son first. And the thing is, back in this culture, men, men of wealth and importance, they never ran. They don't run. Mainly because people are waiting for them, not the other way around, right? They don't need to rush to a meeting. They'll wait. They don't rush to a dinner party. They'll wait. You know, the party starts when they get there, right? And so, first of all, that was weird that he ran. He probably has never really ran like that in his life. But the second thing was, this is just a little side note, is that their robes were so light because, you know, they live in a hot place, right? And so when you run fast enough, um, yes, it, it picks up, you know, air. And so you start exposing things that you shouldn't be. You know, you get what I'm saying? Like it starts running up a skirt like Marilyn Monroe, like when the air comes up and you, and you start seeing like, you know, upper, like upper, upper part of your knees and then a little bit above as well. Like, so that's just not, you people just don't run is what I'm saying. But this father, because he was looking for his son, he lost himself. He almost forgot who he was. He left all that behind and started running towards the sun. Even though the son has spent all the inheritance money on anything he wanted, the father's love cannot help but be vulnerable first. He cannot help it. He's been waiting and waiting and waiting to see his son. He can't help it. He will run. Now, this being vulnerable thing first is, is, is being vulnerable first is so powerful. Have you guys ever had a friendship where um, you kind of are like, oh, I think we're friends, but, um, you know, we share a little bit of secrets here and there. But I don't know if we're like, I can be vulnerable with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Girls, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, when you get to like a, like a level where, you know, you really trust a chick. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like you're ride or die. Like, do you really trust? You know what I mean? Can I be real vulnerable with you? You know, you don't know. You don't have a lot of people like that in your life. But being vulnerable first has such power. And so I see a lot of ladies in this room. And so I'm going to share a little bit of story um, about me and my husband. So y'all want to hear it? Yeah? Oh, y'all don't want to hear it. That's rude. Y'all want to hear it? You guys want to hear it? So I've been a bit married about two years now, and my husband's name is Sam. And um, so this is a story I tell, like, when girls are like, I have lost all hope in men. You know, like, where, where is he? Where is my Boaz? Like, where is he? You know? Um, Nuh-uh. Um, so we're on our second date, right? First date goes fine. You know, we have a good time. He asked for a second date. I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Whatever. You know? Um, but between first and second date, I don't know if anybody can relate with me, but I start freaking out. I don't know why. I was like freaking out. I was like, oh my gosh. He's like, he's like the one, you know, am I going to have to be like super vulnerable with him? Is he, am I have to get closer to him as like a person? Like, oh, you know, like, what am I doing? What are we doing? How does this work? Like, I asked a lot of questions. And um, I actually came back from the first date and I went to my roommate's room, who's Eunice, the campus, no, executive director. I like, she was like, how was it? And I was like, it was good. <laughs> and she was like, it was good. I was like, it was really good. No, I just don't know. I'm, I'm crying. 
freaking out. And then our second date is next week. And then uh, it was a really great day or whatever. It happened. This happened. And then we go to dinner. And then we're just eating dinner. And then he's just talking about casual things, like what he did that day. And I was like, can I, can I, just, can I just interrupt you for a second? And he was like, yeah. He's like, what are we doing here? Like, I, I don't understand what's happening. Are we trying to be better friends? I don't think that's what this is supposed to be like. Like, where are we going? What are we doing? What's going on here? Like, what are your intentions? What am I? I don't even know what's happening. Why are we here? <laughs> and I know some of you guys have met Sam. And he's very, like, he's a very quiet guy. You know, he doesn't, he's not like a, he's not like a much of a talker. He goes, okay, all right, um. I think I know what's happening here. I was like, oh, you do? Okay, okay, all right, so you know me, okay. Um, Okay, and then so he goes, without saying anything else, he goes, Sarah, I just want to let you know, anything that we do from now on, I'll make the first move. You don't ever have to feel vulnerable because I'll always be vulnerable with you first. I was like, okay. (laughs) Like, so I calmed down. I calmed down. And then, so we DTR, we become like boyfriend, girlfriends and stuff. And then I go to a ministry trip for two weeks. I follow Pastor Christian and Aaron and we go to Vegas and San Francisco. By the way, we're like officially boyfriend and girlfriends now, right? But it's been like a day. And so I go, and I'm not, I didn't meet any other guy. I I, I promise. It wasn't a guy thing. It, It didn't meet like some other guy that like, you know, I wanted to, whatever, you know, but I had so much fun in Vegas and San Francisco doing ministry, playing with my friends that I had, I completely forgot about him. I was like, Sam who? Like, I don't know. Like, you know? And so I, I come and I'm, we're on the plane ride back from San Francisco and I'm telling like Tina and Eunice, I was like, I don't think I like him anymore. I don't know what happened. I just, I just, I don't know. I'm fine without him. This is great. I think I could do this forever. And they're like, oh, um, I think you should not tell him that, though. Okay? So let's, um, let's uh, take some time. And maybe, you know, it'll be okay when you get back. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's probably what it is. Like, yeah, you just need to see him again. I was like, oh, okay, okay. I don't know, though, guys. I really don't think so. I, I just, I just like, have no feelings right now. I don't know. And so uh, we, I land in Korea, and then we finally meet up. And Sam's like, hey. And I was like, hey. You know, you know whatever. And then we go to a cafe. And then I'm not really answering his questions. I am answering his questions, but I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I, I felt like I was forced to be on this date. You know what I mean? Like, I just felt like I don't want to be here. I don't really like this guy anymore. Um, and, and, you know, I just kept hearing Tina and Eunice's words, like, don't tell him yet. Don't tell him. I was like, okay, okay. And he goes, uh, is there anything, um, is, is everything okay? And I was like, actually, um, I don't know if I like you anymore. <laughs> And he was like, what? I was like, oh, I mean, it's not like I met somebody when I was in San Francisco or anything. It's just, I just, I don't know. I just, I just have no more feelings. I don't know what to do with you, actually. And so this whole time I was thinking, okay, this is where we probably break up or at least take a break, right? He's probably like, okay, she's a little crazy. I've dealt enough of this. So let me just move on. And then, you know, he goes, you know, this is the, just the joy of dating Sarah Wan. You never know what you're going to get. And then he goes, you know, Sarah, I won your heart once. I could do it again. 
like, y'all would never think that about him, right? Because he's a heck of nerdy. You have to meet Sam. Like, he's like super nerdy. Like, you have, you think he had no swag. But he dropped that. I was like, I'm like, dang, woman. I came home and told all my girlfriends, they're like, oh my God, you do not deserve him, girl. You put him through hell. You don't deserve him. You know? But the power of vulnerability is that it makes the other person feel more comfortable, more secure about who they are. So when Sam was saying, you know, I'll be vulnerable first. I will make the first step. It's saying you can feel safe where you are. I will take the risk and be vulnerable first. When he was saying, I won your heart once, I could do it again. He was saying, you could reject me, but I'll still love you first. I'll still be vulnerable with you first. There's a bigger point to this, guys, than Sam, okay? (laughs) This is the father's love. Can I tell you, I really felt a taste of it when he did that. We act crazy sometimes. Don't you guys think so? God must be looking down like, y'all are crazy. (laughs) You. You at the club, you crazy. You burying yourself in your studies, you're crazy. But he says, you know what, though? I'll win your heart once again. That's the father's heart. He's always open and vulnerable to you first. So you can feel safe where you're coming from. What if this prodigal father ran to the son and said, "Um, you know, I don't know what happened. I need you to tell me upfront what happened because I can't extend my love to you unless you open about your life. How would the son have felt? What if the father said, I don't know where my love is for you anymore. Because you broke my heart. How would that conversation have gone? But the father runs and just hears. And before even the son speaks, if you really look at the passage, before the son even speaks, I, you know, I sinned against you, heaven and you. I'm sorry. Before he even says that, he's running towards the son. He hugs and kisses him. Before he could even admit to one thing that he has done, he kisses him. He says, I accept you. You are my son. I will be vulnerable with you first. I will come to you first. I know what you've done. The worst and the best. I know what you've done. But I will still come to you first. Because I love you and I can't help myself. The last thing the father does is that the father gives him the best. The father gives him the best. So when the son returns home, before he could even apologize, and before he could work and be a slave in his father's home, which was his first plan, right? To go back and work at his father's house. The father puts a new robe on his back, a ring on his finger, new shoes on his feet. The best. The robe represents that he is now, again, the son of the house. He belongs in the household of his father. The ring represents the restoration of his dignity. And the shoes represent a covering of his sins. Back in the day, 
the feet are just nasty, right? Because you're walking in the dirt road, and I'm sure nobody cleaned up their donkey poo, you know, on the side. And so all the feet were the dirtiest part of the body. He, the son came home with no shoes on, completely caked in mud and dirt and poo and everything that you could think of. And the father says, I see that dirtiness and I will cover it with new shoes. I will cover your sin. I will cover your sickness. I will cover your disease. I will cover every transgression because you have returned to me. See, the prodigal son can mean so many things to us. We can totally relate to him. As in, oh, I've been there when I've cursed my parents. I've been there when I've sinned to the most. I could, ever, I could even be comfortable in sinning. So I completely understand the son. I completely understand him. I completely understand where he's coming from. But there are seasons in our life where we feel really, we're really good with God. And I, I don't relate to the prodigal son. I don't. But the story is not to focus on the person that changes. You are to focus on the one that does not change. God does not change. His love for you does not change. Just imagine yourself watching the scene. The father is standing there and the son takes his inheritance and he goes away. In deep agony, but of deep love, he watches his son walk away. He doesn't care about the money. He cares that his son is walking away. His back is to his father. Day after day, he's longing and looking if his son is coming back. And the day that he returns, his love for him has not changed, but has gotten greater. I've missed my son who's been gone too long. I will run to him. I will kiss him before he can even apologize. I will embrace him before he can apologize. And I will clothe him with the robe and put a ring on his finger and cover his feet with new sandals. Because I know what he has done, but he's still my son. He's almost unrecognizable, but he's still my son. I love him with the greatest amount of love a father could have. For my son. We have to understand the father's love. It makes us who we are. Nothing else defines you but the father's love. Nothing else. Nothing else. I see you guys fighting it already. Nothing else defines you but the Father's love. And what good news that the one thing that never changes, the Father's love, defines you. What good news that you can leave and come back and he still loves you. Before you can apologize, he'll run to you. He doesn't change. He has watched us walk away even after salvation, even after we had a spiritual high. Can you imagine God is watching us 
turn us turn our backs to him and we're dripping in the blood of jesus christ that made us whole but we're saying i don't want god i don't want to be with god i don't want to be in the presence of god so i'm going to go far away but he still loves us the father's love is still so strong i want to show a video um it's just a little bit of a background story this video is about um, the Hoyts. It's, a, it's their family name, father and son duo. And the son is uh, sick. He's paralyzed, and he, he can't walk, and he can't actually talk either. But the father runs triathlons, so he swims, bikes, and runs with his father. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to explain a little bit more after you guys watch it, but I want you guys to not look at it as if it's, oh, poor him, poor son. But watch the father. Watch the father as you guys watch this video. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me I can only imagine Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. The title of my message is, is Too Good to Be True. Too Good to Be True. The reason why this father runs these triathlons is because his son said he feels alive. He feels alive when he swims with his dad. He said he feels alive when he bikes with his dad. He said he feels alive for the first time. He feels alive when he runs with his dad. He said, I run with my dad. My dad doesn't run for me. He runs with. I run with. But as you clearly can see, he does run, but his father pushes him. His father carries him. I came here today to tell you just one thing. The Father loves you with an unconditional love. In your brokenness, He will carry you. In your pain, He will heal you. The Father loves you and He knows how deeply you hurt inside. How deeply you feel hopeless sometimes. But God is saying, I will push you through it. 
I will carry you through it. My love for you, my son, is unconditional. His love is too good to be true. But don't let that stop you from believing it. Just because you've never seen a replication of it in this world, don't stop and think that it does not exist. This love is not of this world. No man can do what he did. Nothing in this world can love you like God loves you. It cannot be replicated. It cannot be duplicated. It cannot be copied in any way. It is one true love of the Father and He loves you. He will carry you so you could feel alive again. He will push you through your situation so you could feel alive again. You're never too far gone for God. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you did last night, whatever thought you had before even coming in here, nothing is too far for the love of the Father. He loves you. He will carry you. He will never, ever disappoint you. I know many of you guys are going to the retreat this weekend. And I want to preach a message about the retreat or how important the retreat is. It is so important. Retreat is so important. But what good is a retreat if you never feel the Father's love? What good is reading the Bible every day if you don't understand the Father's love? What good is it coming here on Tuesday nights and familias and Sunday services if you don't understand how much God loves you? What's the point? What's the point? I came here to tell you guys one thing. The Father's heart for you is so big. Come to him and he will not judge you. Come to him and repent and he will forgive you. Come to him and ask him for hope and he will give it to you. Ask him for strength and he will give it to you. He will clothe you with a new robe. He will put a ring upon your finger and new shoes on your feet. He will do it for you. But you need to know how much the father loves you. Do you want to feel the father's love? And I feel like for some of you, you guys need a reminder. Some of you guys need a reminder. For others of you, you guys need it for the first time. Some of you guys, I feel like, I, I remember what that felt like when I felt the Father's love. But I don't remember it anymore. I don't remember what it felt like to be touched by God's love like that. So if we could have the crew that's available come up.